Wednesday. Welcome to Adam versus the man. We got a big show lined up for you today. First, one of the stories I feel like I have been remiss in my journalistic responsibilities with. What's going on in Cuba right now? And we have not had an update on that for a while. And I got to say, I'm disappointed. I'm questioning my news sources now because Drudge Report is my main window onto the mainstream. And Telegram, through Producers Club and a few other channels I follow, uh, is my window into sort of alternative media and the, the, the counter-narrative. And I used to say social media, too, because I used to spend a decent amount of time, like, gathering news from Twitter. And I, I, even now, I'm, I'm on Twitter, you know, a couple times a day, more if I'm traveling, right? A lot. A lot more in the in-between times. Um, I, re I really should do it less. You know, I'm probably I'm probably getting to the point of, like, it's getting manic with, with Twitter. Although it's when I'm, when I'm sleeping alone and I, I want some company before I go to bed, I turn to Twitter and it fucks me up, right? It makes me manic before bed. Uh, but now the uh, the Producers Club is on Telegram is the most important source of news for the show. Um, so for the, everybody in the Producers Club, we got, we got a bunch of headlines from the Producers Club we're sharing today. Uh, but more importantly, back to this Cuba story uh, with what was going on with the protests there, and the political upheaval following that and the situation with the Libertarian Party. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked to my friend Zach Foster or a week ago, a little more than a week. I was like, Zach, Zach is our Libertarian Party attache or the Libertarian Party of Cuba and the Libertarian Party of Venezuela, at least. And I said, hey, can you do an interview to catch us up? And he actually recommended Martha Bueno, Florida Libertarian Party activist who joins us today as uh, one of our guests at the top of the hour. So we're very excited to have her join us to give us a full update on that and uh, correct my my journalistic irresponsibility here. But uh, I think there's a huge opportunity here. We're going to get freedom printed in Mexican and Spanish and have it. we're going to have it drop. We're going to have like a, a ship go and land on the east side of Cuba and have the revolution of, of freedom go east to west, like more traditional. Cuban revolutions. Uh, no, we. I, I, I don't know what's happening enough in Cuba to even comment on it intelligently, and that bothers me. That that's going to change today with uh, with our first guest, then Ford Fisher, uh, and and this is I'm I'm really excited that we have a follow up now to our interview Monday. Uh, we did an interview with Corey and Brent with We Are Change Colorado. Jeez, it seems like about, was it about a month ago now? Like right after the right after Johnny Hurley shooting happened. If you don't know the Johnny Hurley shooting situation, uh, go back, Google Johnny Hurley. Uh, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y, Hurley, like the brand, H-U-R-L-E-Y, common last name. Johnny Hurley uh, was shot by a cop in Colorado after taking out an active shooter uh, who had just killed another cop. And surprise, surprise, we don't have all the video footage wow. related to that. We don't have all the reports. Yeah, the government is covering up something serious there. The um, video footage we have conflicts the reports, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, that, that Kate pointed that out. Dr. Kate uh, Nixon joined us on Monday for an update on the email efforts. Uh, so please check out wearechangecolorado.com or t.me, the Telegram channel for them, t.me slash wearechangecolorado. Also in the Producers Club shared that from there. Our producers club members have all the emails. Well, also we put that one on our, our public telegram channel, t.me slash Adam versus the man. So Ford Fisher did a great uh, mini doc on Johnny Hurley and the Johnny Hurley shooting. So he's going to be our second guest today. So we got guests stacked up the whole 
second hour of the show. We got Ed Vallejo filling in for Ant Ralston flip-flopping days. Normally, I, mean, I know it's Wednesday. You're like, we're, we're, we don't get to see the ant farm or the oil rigs. No. Ed Vallejo joins us. And uh, I know he's got some insight about what's going on right now. And uh, he's going to be getting your comments flowing. Have we had comments going? I haven't seen it. We have comments. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm one of the struggles that we're. Oh, hey, on Twitch. Yes. All right. Oh, wait. That's that's that's, that's our you. comment. That's me. That's me. I'm reading my own comment as if. All right. Um, yeah, Marlon Ford coming on the show in the second hour. Going to be awesome. With that, Jim goes to Bruce Jones. What's going on? Hope you're ready for a great show, everybody. I myself am excited for both guests. I'm excited to educate myself more on Cuba because I've been the same way. I haven't had time to, to dive into that. There's been so much other shit going on. And Ford Fisher, the documentary he did on Hurley, that was crazy. So it's going to be a good one. Uh, let me get promos out of the way and we'll get to it. First of all, uh, he told you about the public telegram channel, t.me forward slash Adam versus man. That tells you pretty much uh, everything that's going on with the show. If we're switching format in any way, that's where we would update that. We put all the links for all the stuff we talk about. So you'll be able to find all that stuff in there. Uh, we can talk about patreon.com forward slash Adam versus the man has five, four different levels. You can support the show one, five, 10, or even $50 a month. $10 a month will get you access to the private producers club that Adam was talking about where we share links and get a lot of links to decide what we're going to talk about on the show or what Adam's going to talk about on the show. So definitely get involved through patreon.com forward slash Adam versus the man. If you want to check out pictures and video of life up there in Gardenia, you can do so on Instagram. The tag is at the garden of freedom. Uh, easiest thing to remember because the garden of freedom is the best place in the world. So go to at the garden of freedom on Instagram and visually stimulate your eyeballs with pleasure. Next, we go to homefrontbattlebuddies.com, the veterans nonprofit organization where all of your donations that you send through homefrontbattlebuddies.com are theft deductible. That means that you can reduce the amount of theft uh, on yourself personally by donating through homefrontbattlebuddies.com, which is pretty awesome. So definitely check that out. Next, we visit the crypto6.com, the Bitcoin church that was raided up in Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, you can donate to help with their legal funds through these different QR codes, do donating cryptocurrencies, or you can write to Mr. Nobody who's still sitting in a cage as far as I know through this top link right here. So definitely do that and uh, write Mr. Nobody a letter, please. That's a personal request from Jim Freedom to you. Next, gogreenenergyonline.com. If you're looking, about, looking to educate yourself more on solar panels, micro wind power, zero energy homes, things like that, you can go off grid no matter where you live. And to educate yourself to be able to do it yourself, you can use gogreenenergyonline.com. That's all I got for today. Hope you enjoy the show. Love y'all. All right, let's get Ed up here, co-host Ed Vallejo. Ed, how you doing this morning? Good morning. Cheesy I'm doing pretty good. Days. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm dealing with a medical issue currently. Uh, my stepfather, almost 90 years old, he fell down and fractured his hip, Ooh. and they had to put pins in it yesterday, so he's out of recovery. They said he hit, they had him up and walking without pain in his legs, so that's a good thing. I'm I need to get him into assisted living because I don't think he can take care of himself any longer. So dealing wow. with the thing, you know, when I get that done, then I'll be back to Freedom Ranch and and crank it back up for Homefront Battle Buddies. 
Yeah, man. Wow. I know that's that's something serious for anybody to recover from. Uh, yeah. But if you're 90, wow. Uh, at least they well they have the confidence in them to go. Yep, we're going to cut you open. We're going to put some pins in you. Modern medicine to the rescue. They did a stress test on his heart and all kinds of things to make sure he'd be able to make it through, and never, he went through everything just fine. So wow, see that's that's like if there one more reason to just be fit and healthy and take care of yourself because you think you might think ah oh, well you know I'm thirty I'm forty or I'm I'm twenty I don't have to worry about being you know I'm going to live to that and and I'm I'm an advocate of longevity escape velocity or an advocate of at least pointing it out but you still have to make it. You know, and for a lot of people, maybe it's more relevant for people like, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 40. When you're 30, as soon as you turn 39, by the way, you are about to turn 40. Um, but I, I, I'm 39 and a half ish, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think kicking and screaming people, over the 40, 40 year old line, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But people, people in, in that, like, even. And anybody over 40 at all, really, anybody over 40 especially should have attention to long-term health. And I think your stepdad's case is a cool example of a point I would, I've been sort of trying to make along with my whole message about health is that, like, it's not just so that you can squeeze out 10 more years of life in a wheelchair. It's right. so that when your body gets fragile with age – it's vibrant enough. It's healthy and fit enough. Your metabolism is high enough to process nutrients, to heal bones, to heal injuries. Because if it's yes. not, he would have gone through that stress test and the doctors would have said, sorry, tough shit. We're going to put a ratchet strap on this one until you fall off. You know, like, right? I mean, like, it, it would have been, ah, oh, fuck you. And, and even with him passing it and going into this, it's still very unfortunate, but it's great that we can, as a society, take care of the elderly and say, hey, we'll take you to, to hospice care, some kind of assisted living. You're going to be, you're going to be okay. And it's worth, you know, your, your life has value to the world. And, 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 and in, in terms of like human evolution and strengthening the high trust society, how we treat and respect the elderly and how we die well and support people living well as they face death, that's pretty serious. And, and I, I think we've come, it's, it's something, it's, it's a fucked up thing with COVID right now. Holy shit, we are screwing it up really badly. But overall, it's also a testament to the detriment that television does to society in that he got so comfortable with television being his mode of entertainment that he sat for so long, his muscles atrophied, and when he fell down, he couldn't get up, he couldn't set up, he couldn't even raise his head up off of the floor. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, it, it's it's such a sad thing because it is a real critical difference being sedentary versus even minimally physically active. Like if your entertainment is working with your hands somehow and at least you get a few hours of that a day in addition to sitting and talking or sitting and listening or sitting and watching. It's 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 a world of difference. But, yeah, there, there's a whole generation, a whole chunk of the elderly generation now that is a, we're seeing the sedentary lifestyle take its toll. 
Yes, so and I, I had two. While we're on bad news, I had two other things I wanted to, to cover with you here today. Sure. Uh, before before we get into our traditional Wednesday COVID block, and I think I think my voice is good enough. I can I can do some COVID vitamins on the air. Uh, but CNN.com. I don't know if you caught this because we covered this live yesterday during the show, and it was a really weird story with this obtuse <laughs> language about we we the, the there was a violent shooting event or something they used a violent event aggressive violence event at the metro at the pentagon just outside the building and the the first responders encountered multiple patients but not shooting victims it was it was very strange and, and i know the language around this there's already gotten orwellian but i think of that george carlin bit you know talking about ptsd well it went from shell shock to this to this to this and now it's post-traumatic stress disorder and it's like we're just obfuscating reality trying to soften the language but this was like trying to evade it was it was very it was very weird sort of immediate cover-up like and and now they 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 had to come out with it the next day so we have this follow-up from cnn police officer dies following shooting Outside the Pentagon building, a police officer dies, died Tuesday after shots were fired outside the Pentagon building, according to three law enforcement sources, not like an official statement or anything like that. The Pentagon Force Protection Agency, which oversees the security of the Pentagon, confirmed the officer's death in a tweet late Tuesday, hours after reports first surfaced. Quote, the Pentagon Force Protection Agency mourns the tragic loss of a Pentagon police officer killed during this morning's incident at the Pentagon. And it's, again, it's in this morning's incident. Our thoughts and prayers are with the officer's family. Additional info on the officer will be forthcoming following full next of kin notification. The exact circumstances of the shooting incident, now that's CNN using that language, are right. still unclear, and Pentagon officials offered little clarity during a press briefing Earlier Tuesday afternoon, speaking to reporters, Pentagon Force Protection Agency Chief Woodrow Cruz reportedly repeatedly declined to provide substantive details about what occurred and would not confirm or deny reports that an officer had died, citing an ongoing investigation. Yeah, and I have to wonder, like, what could be weird about? And I don't want to spend too much time speculating on this. You right. Know, what could be so weird about a shooting? They would cause them to say, no, we, it, it's over. The area is secured. It's a crime scene. The area around it's all open. The crime scene itself is secured and it's still off limits. But we can't even confirm that an officer died in the incident. What the fuck? Like that? It, it really feels like there's there's more information that they're holding back and they, they're dancing around what they are giving. There's something else to it. And you know, the, it also the whole thing overshadows something else that happened in the same day that i noticed that really didn't it, it blipped across everything about that quick and then just went away did you did you hear that another capitol police officer that was on duty january, january 6th, 6th committed suicide number committed four, yeah. suicide wow committed suicide quote unquote um, yeah, so they did with it. So with this Pentagon one, 
Uh, they said an officer was attacked on the bus platform. Right. The incident was over with, quote, no continuing threat. And they also said gunfire was exchanged and there were several casualties. So what I would suspect is that there might be something much worse to this. This might be an assassination cover-up that went a little sideways. Right. Uh, they had a plan to put a neater bow on than this and presented it to the public. It could be an unexpected. It, it, it could. I, I, it seems like they're trying to make it look like random crazy person went and shot a cop. Cop shot back until it, they're alive and they're in they're in medical care and and it's super secure because it was at the Pentagon and we're waiting to for them to recover and interrogate them before we say anything else. And maybe that's all it was. You know, Occam's razor, simple as that. There, the, and there was some police incompetence. They did something wrong in the attack. They're trying to cover up. Right, but you're shaking your head. What, I mean, what are you thinking? It could be? I saw a headline that said that the shooter had evaded. So the shooter came out and fired off a bunch of shots and then went off on foot. They were looking for him. So that makes sense closing the Pentagon down if there's an active shooter that they don't have their hands on or their eyes But they got him. But then they got him and then they reopened the Pentagon. So it sounds like it was just some crazy D.C. shooting. And unfortunately, these things. I was shaking his head more enthusiastically than you were. No, it's possible. It was a single incident, one shooter, pissed off at cops, shoots, runs, blah, 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 secured. And they're covering up this much because it's the Pentagon and they fucked something up. Like they, they screwed up something relatively benign and stupid that cops screw up all the time because they don't have the right. Like they shot a bystander. Or they Maybe. shot the wrong person. Yeah. Or they shot another cop, right? Yeah. Like, and, yeah, and, and the cop died. They didn't say who yeah. shot him. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. They would have said the attacker shot him if they could have confirmed that, they, right? They, they, they uh, start blasting that person. Jim Freedom says the officer was stabbed. Really? And other officers responded rapidly and shot the suspect. Interesting. Huh. I'm excited. Sorry, I missed that. Thank you, Jim. Sorry. I'm interested to see this unfold, whatever, whatever story they give us. Yeah. It smells to me like an op gun bad, and they're trying to just cover it up with whatever they think, so, think well, looks, sounds good. The sentence before that one in the story, Jim, two law enforcement sources previously told CNN that an officer had been shot during the incident. But later Tuesday, yeah, weird. Defense official familiar with the initial report said the officer was stabbed. So this is a defense official, which is... There's still some weird cop, right? spin cover-up going on here. Yeah. Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, the odds of it being... I mean, I gotta, I can't say. I got to go, like, 50-50, right? Odds of it being just organic, crazy gunmen, so to speak, which is all already pretty rare. But, yeah, I'm going to go to the Pentagon and shoot cops. Hypothetically plausible. 50% uh, odds, it's something much more nefarious. Uh, pretty hard to confuse a stabbing with a shooting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but see, it's not that they confused it. It's that it was both, right? Officer got Crazy shot, guy, another stabbed. guy got stabbed. No, and then the officer trying to go for the shoot, the stabber shot another cop. And so there was an officer stabbed and killed, and there was an officer shot. And then they go, fuck, we just don't say, say as little as you can. We already fucked up. We're, we're, until we figure out show. how to get this fucked up story out with minimal liability or in a controlled way we're going to just be as quiet as you can for now 
we can't confirm or say anything else other than other than this. Let this guy say the guy that says this. But there's no live footage of this, which is kind of weird to me because this is DC. It's it's busy there. Some shit starts going down. You're telling me nobody in the immediate area popped their cell phones open. Like maybe, maybe they were trying I, to figure out how much of that they could. Can we cover that up? Because it's all it's all government employees at the Pentagon Metro. It, well, being from the area, I started going to my friends in the area's feeds, just trying to find something, and people were freaking out, typing like, "Hey, it's going crazy, stay inside," but nobody was filming anything. So I don't, and that's just weird during any kind of chaotic event like this. Somebody's always bound to pop open and start going live on Twitch or Twitter. There would or at least be some interesting clips of around the scene, right, or the police response. That's interesting. Well, I wonder too if maybe maybe there's some. I mean, we're we're in this era of social media suppression, and of technological control, where maybe they shut down cameras or they shut down cell phones in yeah. the area until they could collect all the phones. And th like that's their. This is not. This is not evil in and of itself. This is just how the machine works, right? Something happens like this, everybody goes, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" It happened at the Pentagon. There could be a security concern. There could be a terrorism issue just in case. And since we can, let's go steal everybody's cell phones or let's go steal everybody's footage or let's just do a blanket black blackout on we're going to scramble phone signals right now as of this happening. You know, there, there are some alternatives there or some options there that aren't necessarily evil in and of itself, but are just how this evil system responds to this you know, grain of sand in the you know, wrinkle, whatever. Um, but Ed, also in the midst of everything that's going on, what do you think government, what, what do you think the Pentagon is spending our money on? You know, that's, that's really hard to say. It, it really is. There, there's so much black ops that I think it's overtaken the outward ops to where they aren't. They aren't really doing anything public. You know, everything well, they do I, I, is completely. I, I'm thinking of, and who knows? One of my favorite musicians, Michael Franti, has the line: "I'm not worried about who they're screwing in private. I'm worried about who they're screwing in public." And and I'm thinking about the saying: "You know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes." We have this headline from the U.S. Sun, the-sun.com, biggest U.S. Navy war games in 40 years yeah there's a wait you're playing war games during a pandemic yeah no they're ba back to business back to normal uh war zones biggest u.s navy war games in 40 years to prepare for world war three that's what we need Across 17 time zones amid tensions with Russia, China, and Iran, thousands of Marines and sailors are taking part in the U.S. Navy's largest war games in 40 years as Washington prepares for a future world war amid rising tensions with Russia and China. And, you know, Ed, without being conspiratorial, right, like, we don't have to, like, you don't have to go... Where did the virus come from? Was it somebody fucked the bat? Or was it a lab in China? Or was it the, a lab in the United States leaked it to China, leaked it to the United States? Bob, like, it almost doesn't matter. We see more or less what it is. We see more or less 
what it's being used for. And we don't have to speculate about possible extra nefarious subplots to the conspirators here about population control. We know they don't give a fuck about your life. The people running the system are sociopaths and psychopaths. And to me, that means by definition, they don't have the self-love to see to, to, to be in touch with their own humanity. And therefore they see you, the rest of the world population, also as less than human, as expendable. They want money, control, design, run the world. Some of them are eugenicists. Some of them are population control freaks. More or less, they're just driven by greed, money, power. As psychopaths, sociopaths, they still want material security. They still want a lot of them to fuck and to have kids and to pass on their genes and have rich kids that perpetuate that line of psychopathic elitism. Right. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's the observation about society. These are the yeah. people who traditionally are willing to make war and democide and or an architect or design as engineers, as the architects of policy from the United States, from the European Union, from the elites in the Chinese system, from the the you know people who pull the strings in Israel with APAC and all the major power players of the world. You know, they have no problem, you know, designing policy where tens of millions of people die. But they, they, I don't think that's their main motivation. They, they want to exploit us. They want to live off us. Right. They don't really they, they would probably most of them are probably anti-population control. Most of them go unless the world's over capacity and we're a long way from that. And we're going to go to other planets first anyway. Fuck it. Let's have more people to live off of and we get to other planets faster. I think that's more likely to be their sort of dominant thinking. Right. So. We don't have to speculate. Are the vaccines designed to make you infertile? They could be. It doesn't really matter. What we know they are doing is using fear to rip us off to sell unnecessary pharmaceuticals with bad side effects because that's what they've been doing for decades. And then we go back and we go, well, what else have they been doing for decades? Making war, right? Making unnecessary conflict. And so this is, I think, something that... I have not really heard anywhere adequately considered against the COVID narrative is that this could be setting that the, the power players go, this is opportunity for war. This is opportunity for bigger conflict. This is opportunity to increase our spheres of influence, our power, the success, the size of our dominant gangs in the world. Right. So I still stand by my general observation that in a more connected world, in the age of the internet, they can't get away with the same fuckery that they used to be able to, right? The, the millions of gullible young men meeting in the middle of a field where none of them live to kill each other because they're wearing different colors. No, not really possible. But now with COVID, we are more disconnected than ever before. We are more beaten down psychologically than I would say at any time within our generation, within my lifetime, maybe. Yeah, fair to say. Yeah. Ed, sure. Within my lifetime, have the American people ever been in such a state? Like 9-11 was a, a blip of distress. And it might have been a sharper spike. But overall, much less compared to the dark cloud of COVID. And the trauma of 
the eviction crisis, which is now being managed and meted out very slowly, with the forced unemployment crisis, which hit like a ton of bricks, with everything connected with COVID, with the strengthening of authority, the fact that the military hasn't skipped a beat, the military hasn't lost any funding in all of this, they're right. still playing the biggest war games in 40 fucking years to prepare for World War Three. I, I, so Ed, I, I, what am I, am I on with all of this? What's well, is, I don't think they're going to get to like, Oh, and now we get to invade Iran, but to other proxy wars, perhaps. I think they're more involved in space than, than, than we can imagine. Yes. Okay. I really do. I think they're more involved in space than we can imagine. Um, I wouldn't doubt it if there were, if we didn't have bases on the moon. I wouldn't doubt it a bit. I really wouldn't because we've been, the moon by 2024. We've been we've been uh, yeah, dabbling with Steve Carell's Space Force uh, on Netflix. It's really fun. It's really good. By quick sidebar, entertainment endorsement. Um, Space Force. Steve Carell is like a humorous, realistic look at what Space Force might be doing from the inside right now. And it's reasonably lampooning and skewering, but its main thing is making fun of existing mainstream political cliches and the, the, the money. They're spending a ton of money. They have like they have an AOC character and Nancy Pelosi proxy like political character with like their obvious parody characters. But yeah, they call her the angry young congresswoman from New York. <laughs> so, it, but. There is, there, there's, I, I endorse it because it's a fun look behind the scenes, but I wouldn't tell anybody to watch it without thinking this is also a whitewashing of what Ed is pointing out here as there's a more evil narrative and, and, and militarist based domination of space. Woosh William Cooper said there were base, moon bases since the 90s, okay? I remember reading Behold a Pale Horse 30 years ago, yeah. and then they killed him. You know, here in Arizona, by the way, yes. No, it's not. It's it, considering, when was the moon landing? 69. 69. 69. 69. July 20th, 1969. I should remember, this is the year my dad graduated from Harvard. Um, but yeah, 1969, if they could do it then, and then just backed off, but then still had these massive black budgets. You think they're not? Yeah, sure. Maybe the moon landing wasn't real in the first place. No, but uh, if assuming the moon landing was real, and I generally believe it was real, I don't think they fake that. Uh, that's an interesting theory too. That is sort of like eerily plausible. Um, right, the Kubrick thing. If, yeah, but if they put boots on the moon in 1960 fucking nine and they still had that capability and they still had all the money and they still had all the ability to do that in secret like it's 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 one of those improvable one way or another until it's until you can prove that it's done and they want it to be revealed but yeah that we have a base on the moon or something it's it i think it's implausible because of the complexity of that conspiracy and the necessity of keeping so many people quiet i think that makes it highly unlikely that it wouldn't have really leaked by now but that something else hasn't been done or that there's more nefarious intention and money being spent to explore space um having established a base on the moon seems like a stretch you know like that we wouldn't have found out by now that, they, that wouldn't have leaked 
uh, or that they wouldn't have, you know, started bragging about it at some point. But they're doing something else nefarious in space with all of that potential. Of course they are. We know of the existence of the neutron bomb, correct? Right. We know of its existence. We know when it was used in the Gulf War. We know its effects. We know we have it, okay? How much do you hear about that? Nothing. You never hear a word about it. Not one word. I never do. I think I've heard maybe it referenced twice in the last 30 years, maybe. Maybe. Okay, so, Ed, though, I want to take a moment to ask specifically what is the play or what are the plays that they might be considering? Where are we, the people, vulnerable to militaristic manipulation to make some kind of war or larger scale military conflict happen right now? I mean, I look around the world, China, Japan, Taiwan, uh, Mongolia, Tibet, right? There's that sort of ring of fire, if you will, around China as, as potential hotspots. Um, everything that's going on in the Middle East, Israel, of course, there's potential there. China's uh, role in Africa presents potential for conflict. Uh, with, with Northern Europe, maybe nothing direct, but COVID and the imperial forces of Northern Europe having some effect on Africa, perhaps the rest of the world, New Zealand, Australia, where in Australia they're getting, uh, and New Zealand, very brutal with lockdowns. Um, there's Iran and the uh, embargoes and then the incident with the ship with North Korea. Um, you know, I'm trying to think if I'm missing any other major potential hotspot type dynamics. Those are all reactionary, though. Those are those are all reactionary. You know, okay. that's where we react to something that someone else is doing. Okay, that's not where is our government? You know, preparing to attack or doing this or doing that. I think our our government is being directed towards uh, ferreting out those political enemies here at home that they want to encapsulate and and incarcerate and eliminate actually okay but my okay so that's a different speculation there my my point in mentioning all of those hot spots is that anyone could be turned into something much bigger if the american or chinese military industrial complexes decide to make it happen or let it happen i don't know uh, I, I, that part eludes me i guess you know, to uh to war bullshit right now. Where could they make something happen? Where do you think and I, I don't I don't like to play this game because I don't think that a major war is likely. If things but, break out, I see them breaking out because we go to Taiwan's defense when China decides they want it to be a part of the mainland again. Let me let me put the question this way then. If you were the American superclass or the Chinese superclass or the global superclass, and you were looking at the world being the world's population being vulnerable right now with COVID, right? With the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the rich richer and the poor poor, and people more vulnerable, and you are more capable of manipulating them because you can go, oh, ligma variant. Another round of lockdowns, another round of shutdowns, another round of corporate welfare. 
and you want to go well let's take care of our friends in the military industrial complex let's let, let them have a turn at the big trough or get some licks in and on the people of the world how would you try to make that happen if you wanted to flare up militarism or conflict in the world right now like what what would you do where would you look for that well you, you know you pointed out where the biggest naval practice in history since whenever is you know that's that's a big thing right there well i mean i did i didn't say where it's happening you know where doesn't it's matter happening. what it's happening it's it's a gathering of forces okay it's happening every fucking where the large exercise drill will span 17 time zones and forces will participate in the atlantic and pacific regions wow uh yeah so that's like you know well it's a global war game well uh, got me man got me and they have play like every now and then you'll see the military propaganda fight go, they have plans to do this. Look, Iran has plans to invade Israel. And it's like, the United States has plans, and it's like the Pentagon going, like, you know, that sideways looking Muppet going, uh, uh, we have plans to invade everywhere, all the time. Like that's, did you not notice, you know, be ready to kill everyone at all times? Uh, Jim wants to weigh in. I think all world governments are working together right now. The next war will literally be the governments versus people. So, right, that's like Ed was alluding to that it might be more, hey, we can turn the militaries on the people. But that's never been the, the main gist of the militarist racket. Hey, dear, make sure I turn the pump off. I'm going to let the switch on this way. Sorry. All right. Um, so, a war against the people, though. That would be police, not military. And I, and I get, yes, I, I'm not saying exclusively. I know they can bring in the military. They can martial law. They can mobilize they the will. National Guard. If this mandatory vaccination scheme goes through, it will have to be with the use of the military. And then it's on. You think that's what it would be? Yeah. Military, that's, that's, that makes sense. That's, what's the biggest I, vulnerability? I saw the videos of Australia where they were grabbing protesters, holding them down, and vaccinating them. That's shooting time, buddy. But they didn't have guns. We do. Yeah, maybe that's it. No, that makes a lot more sense that this is the phase shift, is transitioning from force on force militarism to uh, occupation militarism, right? Where, with martial law using COVID as the excuse. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, which is a whole other, I mean, it's something sort of we're seeing happen already. We think about that as a trend. If that continues or blows up, that's where this is going. Uh, Jim thinks it's going to get very ugly very soon. Writing is all over the wall. And I put I, that I mean, comment on purpose because I believe it. The writing is on the wall and it's coming soon because they're pushing and they aren't going to let up. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Joey left me some COVID vitamins here. It's time to get into our COVID vlog. Ed, keep an eye on the comments. Keep them coming. Keep the yeah. questions coming for our guests who are going to be joining us in just about 20 minutes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the conclusion here that we've come to with this conversation that while the military is gearing up, if you wanted to kiss butt of military industrial complex, it would be better to say, look, hey, 
We got this COVID thing going. We're setting it up so that we can deploy the military on the streets everywhere. And you're gonna get you're gonna get all the good gear. You're just no more big toys, okay? We, we're not gonna be able to invest in aircraft carriers and long-range bombers, but you're gonna have an army of of super soldiers on the streets in America enforcing mask mandates. Yeah. No, I I'm I'm optimistic. I don't think it's gonna come to quite that. But I do see it moving in that direction. And I would ask the audience, especially in the comments today, any insights to that or other like I, I still think if there's gonna there, there's there's a lot of potential for shadow wars. There are a lot of countries Americans don't give a fuck about that aren't really on the internet, you know, that aren't on TV where they can get away like Yemen, you know, right now what's happening in Yemen, um, things like that. Uh I do think that Taiwan, the the, the sort of I left it on, didn't I? All right. The three big hot spots uh, around China, uh, Taiwan, Korea, and North Korea. Uh, well, I really should say four big hot spots in that region would be, you know, Mongolia, the Uyghur situation, the the fading but still just as alive situation in Tibet with China. I think that one's maybe less likely. Uh, North Korea and Taiwan, though, definitely much more likely to have uh, some kind of large-scale actual military flare-up. Although I would still say in those cases, it's more going to be posturing and bullying and manipulation rather than force-on-force war. You know, it's going to be a few bombings, a few missiles, and and destroyers uh, posted, uh, you know, in threatening ways and, and showdowns. Um, I don't think the people of the United States or the people of China in the age of the Internet will allow any of these issues to turn into, well, therefore, all Americans must seek to kill all Chinese and vice versa until one of us is left standing victorious over a pile of bodies. It's not going to come to that. But uh, escalation with posturing and, and, and significant shifts in the political order that might result in major uh, relocations. Uh, refugee crises, you know, things like that. I think I think there's a there's significant potential for that. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I don't know if Jim wants to get on screen and if Joey can be on camera. We've got musical in. interlude to set up our pure parody of a COVID block because this is all we're not misleading medical advice. It's 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 just parody. I promise. With that, the first story, this is like the only really big story we want to get into, but we are going to get into this and then breeze through a bunch of headlines before we get to our wonderful guest today. <coughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. You get higher every time you cough. No, I'm still working out the last residuals of this sinus infection, so excuse me. Politico.com. CDC. The Centers for Disease Control. How did they get this power in the first place? Announces new eviction ban. Despite Supreme Court threat. Now, we talked about this, Joy, over the weekend when we heard about the big news last week that, oh, my gosh, the National Moratorium on Evictions is ending at midnight on Saturday. And it seemed like it was being used more as a fear mongering tactic to get 
the, the government another excuse to spend $10 billion on rental assistance or whatever it is. Uh, it's, it's probably underestimating it. What's in the trillions? Who knows? But it, it big numbers. And it's not actually that many Americans when you boil it down to it, because most Americans have already been kind of screwed in this. Uh, this is one thing I will say I got wrong, again, uh, a little bit in my predictions, in thinking that there was going to be more of a moment of an eviction crisis. Remember, we talked about this like three, six months into COVID last year, where it was like, shit, if people aren't paying rent, what's going to happen? And then there was the federal eviction moratorium, but then it kind of was limited in its effectiveness. And then they tried to keep it going and they kept it going in, in limited ways. So they instead of letting there be, because because I think, for the government, I mean, the government, I don't say like, ascribe it too much anthropomorphic intent uh, when it when it is really better described as a conspiracy of conspiracies of individual evil actors, all with their own, you know, fingers in whatever pie they can get them into. But the uh, intent is not to have a, a destabilization, right, in an uncontrolled way. They want to destabilize things just enough to be able to control the restabilization to increase the concentration of wealth and power, the rich getting richer at the expense of everybody else. So when the specter of the eviction crisis was first raised, they said, Oh shit, we got to manage this. We got to make sure it happens much more slowly. You know, there are a couple of times, I guess I was, I was, I got to admit this now. I was kind of subconsciously hoping that there would be a distinct eviction crisis. Why? Because it would wake people up, because it would be a failure of government managing the crisis in such a way, there have been plenty of failures, but in such a way that they go, no, no, no you fucked up too bad. There's no way. No, 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 COVID did not create the homelessness crisis. Government response, people's response to COVID caused, an un, uh, caused a homelessness crisis because that's what it really is. And that's what it is now unavoidably. We do have a new COVID-fueled, homelessness crisis in America, but it hasn't been a sudden eviction crisis as I was kind of hoping for. And I hate to say hoping for, because I never said it because that's an evil thought to hope for, but it's sort of like, if there's going to be an eviction crisis anyway, should it be slow and drawn out in a way that politicians are able to evade responsibility for, or should it happen all at once where people go, oh yeah, politicians, you're the ones responsible for that. That was my hope. I hope you see those, those still benign, even though it's weird to say I'm hoping for an eviction crisis. So it seems like now with this Saturday deadline that would have affected millions of people. And, and it's, again, I want to say it's less, it's not every renter. It's, it's less than you know what you would have thought, but it's still uh, the numbers we were hearing over the weekend were something that like seven to 10 million Americans. And of course, oh, it's disproportionately minorities. Well, yeah, no shit. Um, you know, are, are going to be uh, potentially evicted on Monday or given eviction notices on Monday. Of course, the government steps in to, you know, cause more problems and get attention and look good. And they're what they're able to do is sort of delay this with this CDC exemption. So I just want to put that in context. Let's see. Let's get into the story now. Uh, oh, wait, healthy disrespect on YouTube and now places are not renting to the unjabbed. Oh, I, I'm looking at, uh, I don't want to step on Ed's comments here, but uh, Toxic Angel. I, I don't know, I feel if they evict the poverty class, renters, then the middle class can stay in business renting to someone else. In order to destroy the middle class, we need to ban evictions. Is that, do you think that's what they're going after? A destruction of the middle class altogether? Oh, oh, yes. 
Yes, I see what you did there now. Excuse me. I'm not sure if I understand exactly the comment, but the dynamic I'm getting from this is very important. So thank you for that. And it's it's that it's it's the real estate concentration concept, right? They want everybody to become renters. So right now, and this is this is what's what's sort of not thought of in this, this the, the whole rent crisis. It's it's mostly applying to government agencies, buildings, major housing projects. But the majority of people who have already been through a difficult situation in this are the kind of mom and pop rental operations. And it's because part of the overall real estate banking racket has been to suck people into owning multiple homes and owning them as savings mechanisms, right? And it was, oh, you can buy a second home and you can rent it and you can be a, you can be a landlord and manage that, or you can buy an apartment building, but it, it's not that it's, it's, you can buy a second home, you can buy smaller homes, you can manage them and rent them out to people. Right. And Joey, I think what the comment is saying is that that's the middle class. That's really upper middle class, right? That, 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 that you know, um, so I, I, I was confused because you were using this language of like, we we the super class we're talking from the, yeah. from yeah, the yeah, super yeah. class perspective there so first the middle school middle class needs crushed by forcing them to have squatters till it breaks them yes 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 better said thank you for pointing that out that's exactly the point i was getting to in this is that if you can you can break the middle class by forcing them to take on squatters during this time and eventually they won't be able to pay they're going to have to give up those properties there's going to be a massive sale uh, sell off of and this is this is why you see high end homes have been going up right middle and low end homes have been staying the same despite inflation more or less as way I know the real estate analysis has to be way more complicated than sure. to be fair to it, but uh, to be fair to the situation. But generally speaking, high end homes are going up because the super rich are getting richer. It's not just the super rich, it's not just the billionaires, but a lot of people with like 10 million plus net worth are still in the category of being uh, beneficiaries uh, of, of all the government policy over the course of this crisis. A lot of remember, mom and pop stores get shut down because that's where COVID can be spread, but big box stores stay open. Yeah, fucking right. Okay, you see my point. So I think this point from uh, was it toxic something whatever. Um, toxic angel. Toxic angel. Thank Who you. Also says I always put myself. Or I always put my mind in the shoes of the prince in order to figure out what they're likely doing. Yes. And, uh, awesome, awesome, tactful move there. Yeah. So I, I and and the prince like Machiavelli's the prince. The you know uh, what do we do? We'll get to that second domino. Slow down. Uh, what do we do about this? No, I mean, uh, overall, of course, you know, my message is always live free, live well, live more conscientiously. But in terms of conf confronting the system right now, yes, we, we have we have other things we're working on. Stand by. Uh, but for understanding it for now. Uh, come to Gardenia. That's what you do. Yeah, come visit us in Gardenia. Uh, the real estate, uh, the commercial real estate crisis that we covered early last year in this, remember, was, was focusing on uh, the Miami Fort Lauderdale Strip. And it was when you shut down that retail corridor, all of those businesses that were renting had to close shop and say like, look, we're not paying rent. We're not doing business for months. We're just, we're just gonna like mothball the business. And then the owners of those, it's a lot of strip malls, a lot of little retail outlets go, well, fuck, we gotta sell. Who buys those? Who's buying those units? People connected to the major holding companies. It's it's the rich getting richer because it's now they buy they own everything and everybody's a renter. It's 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 I don't know if BlackRock and Vanguard are in on the 
real how how I should say how much they're in on the real estate market. But those are the big holding companies that own over half of big pharma and over half of the mainstream media. So it it's it's thank you to uh, Toxic Angel again for pointing out this dynamic because that got me right to the point of this. And and they are they are managing the eviction crisis so that it can have this effect without provoking a significant destabilizing response. The Biden administration on Tuesday announced a new targeted federal eviction ban to replace the one that expired over the weekend, setting a potential clash with the Supreme Court. The CDC's new ban will apply to counties experiencing substantial and high levels of community transmission levels of COVID-19. It will last until October 3rd. Oh, another reason to over-report cases if you have an, a financial incentive in your county to profit from this, right? Of course, they're going to make it complicated. Of course, they're going to make it limited. Of course, they're going to make it confusing. Of course, they're going to find a way to blame people who simply worked hard, saved a little bit, invested wisely, and wanted to work in, for themselves as you know in, in their later years as landlords. It's not a glorious job. No. We're not talking about like, but this is this is what the American dream has been perverted into for a lot of people. It's you're going to make enough money to move to your dream home from the home you're in, pay mortgages on both, but you're going to be able to rent that one out and have a second source of income. You might be able to buy another home to have as a rental property like that. You might find some unique deal. And what are you doing then? You're going to fucking Home Depot and Lowe's and you're fixing that shit up by yourself. Maybe you're hiring and supervising contractors and you're scrubbing toilets. Maybe you're lucky enough. You're hiring a maid to set it up for your, you know, when, when you're, you're, uh, you know, showing it to potential renters, but like, no, it's not a glamorous job. And yet they're making you hate people with two houses. Like they're the rich you should be hating. No. All right. So to COVID, the Jerusalem Post severe travel warning for U.S., Italy, France, and Greece delayed. Beginning next Wednesday, travelers from some 18 additional countries will, require, will be required to quarantine even if they are fully vaccinated. This is Israel's policy. Crazy shit. That's U.S., France, Italy, Germany, Greece under a severe travel warning. So if you come from one of those countries, even if you're vaccinated, you got to quarantine. What's the fucking point now? And you imagine back to remember, they said this is barely a threat, but it's it's to flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm hospitals. You haven't figured out how to keep hospitals from being overwhelmed at this point. It's about lockdowns and vaccines and mask mandates still. Nah, fuck this. A lot of people are re realizing that. And, and now these narratives just go, oh, yeah, and the vaccine doesn't really work. No, that doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't work for you. Because the seat in the United States, it's now you got to wear a mask inside now. Uh, CNBC.com, J&J, COVID vaccine recipients can get supplemental Pfizer or Moderna dose in San Francisco. Oh, wait, you mean it's not really a vaccine, is it? It's a weird immune manipulation thing that makes you less likely to get a disease and make it possibly less severe if you do get it. It's not, it's not a vaccine. They had to remember, they had to change the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of vaccine to include what they're doing now. And I don't want to be a grammar Nazi or definition Nazi, but you know, because I'm, I'm, words can evolve. That's okay. It, but they changed it now for this. That's bullshit. So yeah, it, it, and oh, one shot, that's not enough. You're going to need boosters. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mediaite, Arkansas Republican governor admits mistake on mask mandates. This case is sore. I wish that had not become law. This is the guy who banned cities in a state from having their own mask mandates. 
And now he's saying, oh, that was a mistake. We need to let them be tyrannical. Stop. And I, 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 I'm talking to myself because I get sucked in sometimes. Stop praising tyrants when they do bullshit little pandering things like that. Remember to praise the people who have shifted the paradigm to make it appropriate for a politician like that in that time months ago when he said, oh, I'm going to ban mask mandates. Okay, good. We've, we've at least got, that's what kissing our ass looks like now. It's not that he's a good guy. He doesn't give a fuck about your rights, and he just proved it. Bloomberg at MSN.com, Delta seen to push herd immunity threshold above 80%. Yes, that's the Delta variant is also an excuse for that. Speaking of politicians, pandering insider from businessinsider.com, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis defends unvaccinated people who are catching COVID-19 media is being judgmental. He actually makes a really good point here, even though he's a corrupt politician like anybody else. As he said, when someone, when somebody contracts a highly transmissible airborne virus, they're viewed as having done something wrong. And that's just not the way you do it. When people come in, you treat them. Are you going to sit there and criticize? Or are we going to try to treat and help and try to help the folks? Nobody's trying to get ill here. And that's a really good point for illuminating, and, and he, because he's a Republican, he's illuminating the fact that on the left, they've really come to demonize people as if we don't care about our health because we don't buy into the COVID narrative. It's like, no, we are respectfully disagreeing. And the hatred from the people, and it, it is largely driven on the left, but now mainstream people on the right too, uh, pushing the COVID conspiracy or the COVID mythology rather. Whoosh, what the fuck on Twitch, always with good comments. There's being a definition Nazi, then there's identifying new speak. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, metaladdicts.com, not a website we find relevant often. The offspring drummer fired from band for refusing to take COVID-19 vaccine. And I'm trying to get him. Yeah. I'm trying to find this drummer for the show. I just want everybody to know that. I don't think like it's going to be difficult. I think we can get this guy on. And that's shitty. Who's the, what's the name of the lead singer from The Offspring? Because I'm fucking pissed at him. Now. Needles. No, what's his actual name? I don't know. He's a douchebag. But, um, but no, I'm he upset. started fucking cool. And this, you, so like, I was a fan of The Offspring. They were on my top five Like, before they got years. big. And I hate to say that I'm like that guy, but they used Offspring to be legit like middle school. anti-authority, old school punk, totally. like with Rancid and The Offspring and Operation Ivy as, as legit anti-authority and, and they totally fucking so sold now, out i recently saw them just four or five years ago and was expecting it to be ridiculous they came out looking like your drunk uncle and they sounded just like 1997 had that same like yeah, and even this, even, even so since then now. even like a decade ago like and it's funny i have liked the offspring apparently longer than this guy pete parada has been with the offspring he's only been with them 15 years. Imagine saying that about you've only been with the band 15 years. Yeah, but the offspring is like 40 years old, like the yeah, band. Yeah. Like as a no, no? They, they go back, uh, 90s, early 90s. Mid, early 90s. Yeah. I think I remember when I was in middle school. Smash came out in 95. That was their first album. That was their first. And I think they were around before that, of course, underground. Mm, Smash was their, no, no. Smash was their first big commercial success. Yeah. See, I remember that and then going into their old stuff. And that was even better. Yes. But now they're like, but even the stuff they did, like late 90s, early 2000s, I was like, this is halfway sold out. This is not, this is not early. This is not punk anymore. Dexter Holland. Dexter Holland. Yeah. Fuck you. Oh, no, that's, that's way, wait, wait. Yeah, lead yeah, Dexter Holland. Someone got to him. Some, something got, maybe it's just contracts and 
and music industry shit. But whatever, it's disgusting. Hopefully, we can get Pete Parada on the show and give us some insight to my my one of my favorite uh, bands from oh, you know middle school. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. Yes, yes. Oh, oh, I know more about them than you do. 37 like, fucking years, 1984. Known, they were known as Manic Subsidal back then. When did they become the offspring officially? 87. Ah, I'm still closer to right than you are. 87, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, so it was 87. They, they, so yeah, Smash was 95, right? Yeah. That was their, their first big commercial like success. That, they had like four or five albums before that. I remember like getting bootleg yeah. shit with that. Yeah, but Smash was their last good one. And even that, even Smash was like, eh, it's a little too commercial. Anyway, one last story, and we can at least say we completed our COVID block before we got to our guests. Other stuff can wait till catch-up Thursday. We do have the stories about police who were at the, the Capitol on January 6th committing suicide. Um, maybe if, 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 I don't think we're going to get to that. Because we're going to our guests now. This is, this is exciting. Second hour of our show. Last thing to finish our COVID block, vice.com. Hitmen dressed up in COVID PPE to murder this politician. Killers, uh, killers in Honduras often disguise themselves as police or military officers, but this team had a pandemic ruse. Guess who opened that up for, uh, for the, the government? I want to say politician uh, got what you deserve, but he could have gotten killed for standing up. So he probably got killed for standing up to COVID bullshit. You're right? probably right. But uh, so. here's the thing that that just opened up. You're right. Criminals will knock on your door as a cop to rob you. And now they have a whole new costume. Exactly. They can start yeah. feeling they're fooling people with thanks to this bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from Florida today, our guest is Martha Bueno. A uh, fully bilingual Miami native who's had family uh, over three generations farming both in Cuba and the U.S. She's lived over six years in Venezuela and uh, understands the situation with Florida, South Florida diversity, all of that. Um, graduate of Florida International, where she has a degree, like me, undergrad in psychology with a minor in business administration. I wasn't that cool. Uh, but she... Uh, founded Florida Genetic Center Incorporated when she was 17 with her parents. And she has um, been a successful entrepreneur her entire life since then, her entire life. When she was a little girl, and she, and, 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 and as a fetus, uh, she was not an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say that, don't get me wrong. Maybe. Uh, but no, she plenty of credentials in that realm. She's also been vice chair of the LP of Miami-Dade County, which is a big, important Libertarian Party affiliate. Uh, she's been chair of her local community council in West Kendall, currently running for Miami-Dade District 10 commissioner. Also co-host Libertarios Hispanos with Zach Foster, who recommended her as our guest today to catch us up on everything that's going on in Cuba. Of course, Martha, uh, anytime you're on the show, you're welcome to use this platform for anything you want. But really today, I hope you can catch us up because I have been remiss in my journalistic responsibilities. We covered a handful of stories a couple weeks ago about what was happening in Cuba. But I'm I'm disappointed in my news feeds in my channels for really undercovering what's going on. So please uh, catch us up. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Um, thanks. I really appreciate the invitation. Um, and thanks to Zach for uh 
you know, saying that I should come on. Oops, there goes my earpiece. Um, so what's going on in Cuba? Cuba, um, after 62 years of communism, have finally said, we're done, we're, we're over this. On July 11th, we had nationwide protests in Cuba, which is the first time we've seen this in the 62 years. There have been protests all over the island in different uh, sections, but never seen like this before. We'd also never seen police cars overturned in the streets of Cuba. We'd never Ooh. seen people really go out and protest the way they have. Um, why have things changed? It's my belief that... Um, because they're finally getting news from the outside world. It wasn't until 2018 that they started getting Wi-Fi and cell phone coverage. So from 2018 till now, we see a huge difference in how Cubans are interpreting um, their own lives in Cuba, as well as what happens outside. So there's a lot of propaganda. We can compare it to North Korea when you live there. And you're told from the time you're born that Cuba is the best country in the world, that there's nowhere like it. And now they have access to the outside world and they're like, hmm, that doesn't look like the best place in the world. Look at the supermarkets outside. They have food. They don't make lines every day. So I think yeah, the let me let me let me yeah just let me interject a, a quick question for a uh, you know, basis of comparison. How many? Because in in the United States, we really freaking just take it for granted. Everybody's got a smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, you're the anomaly. And if you don't have a smartphone, you're standing next to someone who has a smartphone. So it's it's out there. Everybody has like the saturation effect of that technology. Is that not true in Cuba? And, and how far behind has Cuba been in, in those? It's regards? true now. It's true now. So most Cubans or a very large population of Cubans now have access to cell phones or some form of Wi-Fi, um, which okay. is now enabling this. But it wasn't until 2018. Was, so it's it's so when when that happened in 2018, I mean, if, if, they're, they're, I assume because progression. the nature, the right. nature Nobody of Nobody had cell phones. Knows, all at the same time in 2018. It opened up in December of 2018. So we've had about three years worth of this, you know, people starting to get cell phones and getting that access. It's been a and slow it, progression like it happened here. And how, so how shut down was it in 2018 compared to the United States for internet access and cell phone access? They didn't have any prior to like this. Not, I mean, like nothing, no, be- like nothing. Well, like some no- people had, no, some people had, but you had to be upper military. You had to be in the government, you know, like my uh, uncle who who passed away 10 years ago in Cuba, he was part of the Cuban government. Um, actually, when my mom left, he used to call like he used to they, they didn't speak for years. And he used to say things like my mom was a traitor for leaving that type of stuff. They since reconciled and then he passed away. But he had um, access to computer long before everybody else. I was able to email him a long time before. Um, he also was able to travel to China, to Russia. He, he went to Angola. So, you know, it depends who you are on the island. But what I mean mm-hmm. is the regular folk. The right. regular folk have had now access right. since December wow. 2018, which wow. is a huge okay. difference. Right. Because, you know, before then, again, the those military people or the people in the government, they may have, they probably knew. They knew, you know, um, we saw videos of, of uh, Fidel Castro's grandson. Uh, driving a Mercedes on, you know, uh, a private island that they own. So, and he has an internet account that has millions of followers, a, a Instagram account, sorry. And he, for example, is able to travel to Europe and, you know, he, there's pictures of him smoking cigars in, in cafes in Europe. So those people knew that Cuba was, you know, the way it is. Everybody else, not so much. And and the propaganda is mm. big, you know, when you compare it to other places like North Korea, and you can see, you know, that that is what these governments do. They mm. pretend 
that everything yes. is wonderful. And so, and people really, I don't know if they buy it, but they have to kind of buy it to be able to survive. In, in well, Cuba, well, you well, don't brother, live. I, I, you I want to interrupt you to tell everybody how right I am about everything as a libertarian, if you don't mind. Uh, no, that <laughs> because one of the things I've been pointing out, and it's in my book, is the Internet effect that in many ways we take for granted here in the United States. But we don't realize how essential limiting Internet access is to maintaining oppressive regimes around the world and thus the American empire standing in our material benefits as citizens of the empire who get, you know, nice electronics made by tiny hands across the ocean. And in this situation with what I'm seeing in Cuba, I'm really glad you started with this because I, I want you to tell the story of modern Cuban history up to today and where it's going in the next few months in the next couple of years, maybe going back to December, 2018. I want right. you to tell, tell the story from then to now, because as you meant, you like read my mind, mentioning North Korea, because you go, where else is there an, a very oppressive regime where there is near complete limitation to uh, you know of access to the internet for the average citizens? And then you think of all the places in the world where maybe there isn't such a beautiful, sudden, obvious demarcation point like December 2018 in Cuba, but there will be a point when North Korea gets it. And we see this effect I call the internet effect, the enlightenment right. of the internet, politically, culturally, globally, just factually. You don't have to argue about facts anymore when you can just, you know, Google that shit. Uh, <laughs> but it, 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 it's it's a it's a massive leap in, in in capabilities for humanity that is being denied to to certain chunks of humanity. So, right. can you go back 2018? Talk about how the presence of, of the internet changed the culture and the political awareness in Cuba and, and, and how that led us to the recent breaking points. Instead of trying to jump into that right now and be like, what did I miss in the headlines? <laughs> this is this is the backstory sure. of the cuts, right? This is the backstory. So before this, um, like I said, there's been this culture of um, those who left, uh, they call them gusanos, which is a worm. Uh, you know, you left, you didn't stay behind. You didn't come and fight in this revolution that Castro um, formed. And, you know, there's they had this narrative for so long. Um, and so over time, we started seeing how that was falling apart on its own, naturally. You know, you're promised free health care. You're promised all these wonderful things. And then it didn't come to pass. You know, if you have even a headache, there wasn't Tylenol in Cuba, like they couldn't really get access to even the basics. So it already started falling on its own. Um, I believe it started happening with Obama when, you know, we started allowing Americans into Cuba. You know, you can't have, um, it's really hard to, to shut things down and be like, no, the rest of the world is, you know, falling apart and we're great when you have people coming into the country with Ooh. all this wonderful stuff and spending their money and tipping. And, um, you know, Europeans would go to Cuba before as mm -hmm. well, but there's nobody like Americans in terms of tipping and providing things. And, you know, I think we kind of led, we lead the way on that in, 
Generous, you know, boisterous it, tourists, us ugly. We Americans. are. We are very generous. We are very generous people. You know, anytime that there's tragedy around the world, we're the first people to step up well, with well, cash. Well, hold on. It's like it's like we as libertarians like to criticize about socialists. It's very easy to be generous with other people's money. <laughs> I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We are not special as Americans. We have a culture of generosity for sure, but we are the generous ones in the world because our government has helped us be the profiteers and beneficiaries of all this theft and manipulation and imperialism Ooh. and uh, yeah but not getting too yeah, sidetracked I, anyways I, you know, I do want to compare what you said though to the american situation because it sounds like the dynamic you're pointing out the psychological dynamic is that the people of cuba were suddenly faced with the undeniable failure of communism whereas prior to the access to the internet the politicians the media the manipulation was able to just convince enough people to kind of deny it well you're the only one who's suffering or our country's great the rest of the world is even worse mm -hmm. and I, that I was the narrative yes that literally the, the narrative States. we suck but they suck worse and it's all and america's this, fault because of the embargo and, and i i want to <laughs> apply this to the United States to reinforce my thoughtful keyboard warriors in the audience. And I'm sure you have some fans who would qualify as keyboard warriors too. But then when you're thoughtfully, actively working to fight the paradigm with the internet effect as a positive voice for change on the internet, what she's describing there, we still need to face up to some shit in the US. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We do need to face up to some stuff. But anyways, going back to you can't deny what you're seeing if you're a Cuban on the island. And again, people in Cuba, they don't just for people here in the U.S., they don't get to go to a supermarket and buy. What do you buy a week's worth of groceries when you go until you have stuff in your refrigerator? First of all, in Cuba, there's not a consistent power. Mm -hmm. So you don't buy mm -hmm. your groceries, even if you could, even if you could buy a few days worth of food. Um, if your power goes out for six, 10 hours a day, you know, good luck keeping it fresh. So you have to buy daily. Um, and, and then of course there's just the issue of there isn't enough. So every day you wake up really early and you start your line at 6 AM to buy a piece of chicken or to buy mm. whatever you have on your rationing book. So, you know, then you give these people access to the internet and they're able to look up supermarkets around the world, not just the United States, but anywhere in Europe. Right. I lived in Venezuela for a long time. I can tell you that their supermarket shelves were stocked prior to Chavez. I mean, I they used to have even the same stuff we have here in America. Or even uh, just Mexico, was, even just looking for Cuba to compare yeah. to Mexico, right? Just the, the relevant. Right. I mean, I, I, I to hold up Mexico as an example, but it's being right there. <laughs> and they have food, right. And they have relative economic freedom and they have food security. Right. Anywhere, anywhere in Latin America that is currently going through bad times still has more than Cuba. So it's really hard to now compare and be like, oh, this is what I'm living, this is my reality. But really, I'm better off than the rest of the world. It just doesn't make any sense. And then on top of that, you know, just Cubans have uh, a lot of people here in the US, there's over a million and a half Cuban Americans that send things to Cuba. The only reason you can actually live um, if you're not part of the government you live because people outside of Cuba Ooh. send you. So it's also Ooh. another narrative of how exactly wow. is this imperialist country that is wow. so evil? How are how is it possible that you know somebody who leaves Cuba within a year they're able to support their family in Cuba? So we're so terrible, we're so terrible as a country in the United States, but 
Cubans leave Cuba and are able to maintain their family back in Cuba within a year of leaving. So I think that, you know, that those narratives started being challenged and then Cubans have access to Facebook, limited amounts of yeah. Facebook, but they do. And so Facebook, as much as I detest it, has been a great thing for ending communism yeah. in Cuba, or working yeah. towards it. You can actually have a conversation with people on Facebook where they're like, yeah, no, this is our reality. We don't live the way you do. And so all of those things came together. And then we had this super mega song by Gente de Zona called Patria y Vida, which if this song would have come out before 2018, people would have shut them down and called them traitors. Instead, it was trending in Cuba. Every Cuban on the island has heard that song, probably knows the lyrics to the song. You know, that song was just huge. And we have El Movimiento San Isidro, which was the artists on the island. Um, this was happening just before this major protest. They um, So it's illegal to be an artist in Cuba. It's also illegal oh to be a, a, um, a journalist, an independent journalist. It's illegal to fish. Cuba is an island. It's illegal Good to- Good luck stopping that when everyone has smartphones. Yeah. You're going to make being an artist illegal? Uh, fuck you. I got a phone. I'm going to I'm gonna draw some shit and I'm going to put it on the internet. And you're, no way. I'm, you're going to make journalism illegal? We have Facebook. Facebook journalism, at least. Sorry. At yeah. Least. No, it's- so We actually have journalists now in Cuba that um, we didn't have before because this technology has made it um, available. Now they use VPNs and we have journalists like 14 and a half. There's this, this uh, Cuban website called Catorce Medio, 14 and a half media. Um, and there's this very famous Cuban journalist, Joanny Sanchez. And every day she puts out a 12 minute podcast in Spanish uh, where she talks about the issues in Cuba, you know, um, and so. Like now, not only are they able to hear what's going on in the island from somebody outside of the Cuban government, but we here in the U.S. can yeah. hear what is happening. So all of these things kind of came together. 11th of July happened and protests broke out in a, in a, a town right um, very close to Havana, completely got the uh, government, you know, they had no clue this was happening. And then it just snowballed from there and spread throughout the whole island. The first day, it was peaceful mm -hmm. because the government didn't even have time to react. From yeah. then on, they've been taking people um, off the streets. They've been jailing people. Um, they've There's tons of people that are missing or disappeared. Um, mm. They've been snatching even young children. There's plenty of 16, 17, 18-year-olds facing over a year in jail. They're given these speedy trials, 96 hours from the time they're captured to the time they have a trial so that they can't prepare. And they've been giving them roughly about a year sentence. And I'm talking about 16, 17 year old girls, guys. I mean, it's really tragic what they're doing. And then, of course, if you're a guy and you happen to have been caught out, you're probably going to go to forced military service. Um, this isn't like here in the U.S. It's you get snatched and you don't belong to your parents. In communism, you are not your parents uh, responsibility. You are the state's property. So you don't really have a say in what you want to do. Um, and so all of these things are mm. happening. And we need that the world's eyes on them. But what does Cuba do? They knock down the internet, they knock down the phone lines, and they make sure mm. that people can't get this message out, which is why, um, you know, I think it's so crucial that we put pressure on the Biden administration to allow us, if they won't do it themselves, to allow us to purchase the technology and provide Wi-Fi for the island. Um, we have a Florida state uh, senator, Maria Elvira Salazar, 
who told in a news conference to Biden, she's a Cuban American, um, and she's also a journalist. Well, and hold she, on, Mar Martha, I want to, I want to, I mean, I, I apologize yes. for all the interruptions because no, no, of all, being enthusiastically agreeing with you and being excited about, <laughs> you know, all your insights to this. Uh, but I, I do have to stop because it sounds like you're jumping ahead in the narrative to what can we do about it? And yes, freedom, like, hey, how can they stop us helping Cuba? It's, Yes, absolutely. Great pause. But I want you to go back to like what is happening in Cuba? Who is organizing? What what are the calls to action? How has there been? I, I mean, I assume from what I've seen, they shut down the it's like it's like the, it's like um, the Arab Spring meme that came out of that. And it was a picture of, you know, Guy Fox when the government shuts down your Internet it's time to shut down your government. You know, there's, you know, there's once, once you give people that this sounds like, no, fuck you cats out of the bag. You're not getting away with this. What So please take us back to before yes. we get to, to, to where we are right now and, and what to do, gotcha. what happened? How did those dynamics develop? So, um, okay. Going back to what happened. So from July 11th until now, there have been protests, but here's the big, but um, people are scared and they were chanting on, on Jan, on July 11th, people were chanting on the streets. We're not scared anymore. Patria Vida, which is the name of the song that I was mentioning earlier. Um, you know, one of, uh, Joanny Sanchez, that, that news, that reporter that I told you about that independent reporter in Cuba, she said, we were so hungry that we just ate our fear. That is a big thing in Cuba. People have been so fearful for 62 years of their government that they have kept quiet. But now they're so hungry. So oh. even before these protests, COVID is a huge deal on the island right now. You have an island of people who don't have enough food, have zero access to antibiotics, have zero access to vitamins, supplements. Um, they're definitely being underfed. They're de you know, they have all these nutrition problems. And now you introduce COVID. And so you have this narrative that our hospitals are the greatest things in the world. Come in, we'll take care of you. But the hospital system has collapsed. Just today, over 9,000 people on the island of Cuba have COVID and there's 90 deaths um, this week. So, I mean, or, or I think this week, I got to check those numbers. But I was listening to Joanny right before I came onto your show, and those seem to be the newest numbers uh, based on, on what she's saying. So there's a huge outbreak of COVID. They can't manage it. If you go to a hospital in Cuba, for example, they don't have food service in the hospital. You don't get food if you're there. So your family members have to bring you food. Imagine oh, you've wow. got COVID and now your mom, dad, sister, brother, whoever's available fuck? has to bring you breakfast, lunch, and dinner or whatever. But they're not allowed to come within six feet of you, right? And you're only allowed one visitor. Per I mean, oh my God. Like wow. Well, in Cuba, I'm not sure that that's the case. In Cuba, you just you need like they don't even have ppe equipment so i mean we're talking about a country that doesn't have syringes and you think they have masks and you know i my my family's been asking me to please send them uh hand sanitizer which they can't even get in cuba yeah. i was about to ask you know what is the inner dynamic with COVID and all this it sounds like it's just one more immediate glaring Cluster. failure that 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 illuminated the failures of communism and as, as just been one, I mean, maybe even a giant extra motivation for this happening now. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what's happening. So people, besides everything else that was happening, so you have to remember it's 62 years of this ongoing, but then besides people getting the internet, besides people starting to wake yeah. up, then you yeah. introduce COVID. And yeah. now COVID is this really big thing. Again, going back to people having to make lines every day for food. Think about it. 
you can social distance in a line every single day where you mm -hmm. wait for your food. Like yeah. it just is impossible to yeah. separate yourself from, you know, other people when this is your system. So it's kind of all come to a head all at once. And so what are we seeing on the island right now? Well, the government is being its usual authoritarian self. And so besides they're abusing the population that is out protesting, they're also abusing their own generals. Six generals within a 12-day span uh, all of a sudden died. We don't know how. We don't know why. But six high-ranking generals dead Ooh. within 12 days. And their own families weren't able to see their body prior to them being cremated. So, you know, it's anybody's guess as to what's going on. But the biggest guess is they're probably being uh, suicided. They That's good. Yeah, no, it's sort of like anytime, we need better language to talk about this, Martha, because I, I, I hate to sidebar on this, but this is an important point that's been kind of bugging me in the back of my mind. Since Jeffrey Epstein, we've seen, an I mean, John McAfee uh, suicided in a Spanish prison. Um, we've seen now four Capitol police officers commit suicide after the riots. Uh because of the because of the trauma of dealing with you know uh, a a riot of of megatards like really like really that's n like n they were su like I I think we need to get really comfortable with the term suicided because when the government says hey John Mack if he had a suicide note in his pocket and then gives you a piece of paper of scribbles that doesn't have any creases on it as if never got folded in a pocket you go. You're just admitting to murder. You want us to know that you murdered these people and you just want us to know that, screw you, you can't do shit about it either. So we're just going to rub your faces in it. Twelve uh, or Six generals in 12 days cremated. When, when, when they're saying, oh, and we cremated them before the families polluted <laughs> the bodies, that's our way of saying, oh, we murdered them and you can't do anything about it. Right. So we don't know what happened to them. It could have been COVID. It could have been suicide. It could have been murdered, suicided, whatever the case is. They're dead. They're gone. So, you know, high ranking officials are, you know, dropping like flies. And then there's this rumor going around that Raul Castro, who is the head of the military in Cuba, um, may possibly be dead as well, which I don't wish death upon anyone. But Fidel and Raul, they're fair game. Sorry. I, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> I hope that this is the, the truth. I hope he is um, deceased, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that would be very good for the people of Cuba in being able to move on past this and de defeat their government because it's really um, the government that they need to defeat. And so that leads us to today. Uh, what's going on today? People are scared to go out and protest because, again, the crackdowns are really, really insane for the people living there. But they're still going out and doing these things. Um, and we'll just, you know, have to wait and see. Unless, uh, unless somebody goes and does something for them, it's going to have to be on the Cuban people. And you know, as libertarians, I'm all for the Cuban people being empowered and being able to do it. They will need outside help. They will need some humanitarian aid. Um, they will need all of our eyes on them because they are being killed and being killed in silence is worse. You know, they definitely need our eyes, the world's eyes on them so that they at least have that backing. We've had several groups here from Miami um, take their boats and head to the 12 miles outside of Cuba, which is mm -hmm. as close as we can get because the United States government thinks that we um, shouldn't have the decision to go to Cuba 
They, uh, in 1996, Bill Clinton put into place Proclamation 6867, which bans American citizens from entering Cuban uh, territorial waters. What does that mean? That means that even if the United States citizen, Cuban American citizen, filled up their boat and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to deliver these these humanitarian whatever. Uh, the United States in there, in what they have written, if you intend to even make your way to Cuba, they can confiscate your vessel charge you $25,000 a day and up to 10 years in prison. So um, they're really hamstringing us. They're making it impossible because nobody's doing anything. There's no international community going in. Uh, we saw this with Haiti. Haiti, as soon as the president was uh, murdered, immediately the United States sent troops, peacekeeping troops. I mean, it was one day to the next. Cuba, this is going on now almost a full month and nothing. They won't provide the Wi-Fi, even though the Cuban-American community is saying, we'll pay for it. Um, yeah. We just don't have the capacity to do it. You know, we saw that the United States has this technology. We did it in um, Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria in 2017. So it's not even like brand new technology. They have it. They could give it to Cuba or they could sell it to us. We'll pay for it. Uh, we're not asking the government to do anything for us, but we do ask them to get the heck get out, out of the way. way. Yeah. yeah, no, Martha. So this has been amazing. I'm I'm really grateful for your time this morning. I just want to wrap up with the call to action here. It sounds like it's basically three things or sort of categories of things. And one, keep the attention on, keep sharing stories about what's happening in Cuba. Find the song Padre Vida, right? Share that, watch that, everything you can to support the cultural movement. And you can support do to connect with people online too and let them know that we're watching, we're paying attention. We're supportive exactly. uh, to the, the, the political stuff. Uh, and right now it sounds like the priority with Biden is get the embargo bullshit out of the way so that the existing the embargo doesn't people... affect the embargo doesn't affect Cubans at all. And that's one thing that I do hear a lot in libertarian circles. The embargo is not the reason Cubans don't have medicine. The international community offered Cuba COVID vaccines, for example, they turned it down. Uh, there's, the reason Cubans can't get things on the island isn't because it's not being shipped there. The United States provides over 30% of Cuba's imports. There is no reason for you know Cuba to say that the United States is the reason there's embargo. They trade with countries all over the world. The reason Cubans can't get things is the Cuban government. So we can remove the embargo tomorrow. That's not going to change anything. I'm in well, you favor said, of it. You said, you said the it. thing with the boats. You said the thing with the boats was the U.S. government would arrest you and fine right. you. Right. That is, but that's not part of the embargo. That's not that's the embargo. That's a different policy. That's not the embargo. Okay, that's, that, that's Proclamation so, 6867. Okay, that was so signed by getting, Bill Clinton. Getting, yeah. getting the, but allowing aid and, and, and targeted aid, exactly. especially to enter Cuba from, from private sources. And, uh, and, and three in, um, I forget what number three was, uh, I, I guess supporting these direct efforts what, I want to know what are the groups that you're working with that people can look up, that they can follow, that they can join, that they can promote, who are actually trying to get resources into Cuba right now? That is a sticky subject. So right now, there are several communities that are trying to reload people's cell phones in Cuba. You can find those. I'm not very familiar with them. Um, I think it's a wonderful effort, but it's not something that I'm particularly involved with um, because ever, there's already people in that space doing those things. Um, I am right now sending... Personally, some medicines, um, antibiotics especially, to people in Cuba that I know 
I want to confirm that it's something that that can happen, that we can get the medicine into their hands directly, that it doesn't go into the government. Once I've confirmed it, I will be launching an effort with People for Liberty um, to make sure Americans or anybody who wants to help will be able to adopt a family type of uh, a thing mm-hmm. and get them medicines that they need. So we can send per person 22 pounds of medications to oh, Cuba. Wow. So um, it, it costs a quite a bit of money and medicines aren't cheap, um, especially because we need to get access to them and we need prescription drugs and all of that stuff. But um, we will be hopefully very soon launching this effort. It takes about 50 days to get something to Cuba from the U.S. It's crazy, the system. Um, and then we have to package it in like small little bundles. We can't use boxes. I mean, the, the system is just insane, but anything can help. Um, and if anybody has any 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 knowledge of anything else that might be able to help. I mean, there's definitely a lot smarter people than I am, you know, out there that can help. Um, Let me know. We're trying to find all sorts of ways to get stuff onto the island because the reality is people need to eat. People need medicines. You know, people need things, things that can actually help them. It's great to be keyboard warriors. It's great to, to focus on Cuba and keep it, but we also need tangible help. Um, And again, pressuring the United States government to remove that proclamation because you know, it's going to be hard enough getting to the island and being able to leave the island once you've dropped off stuff. But um, why should we, we be arrested? Why should free free people in the United States be arrested for trying to help another country? It's I mean, I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't I can't imagine that this is what you know, my father fought so hard to leave Cuba to come here to a free country to then be told what we can and can't do. It's just mm-hmm. mind blowing. Yeah. Martha, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Next guest, just like that, back to back. Uh, I don't know. Should I check in with comments real quick? Second domino. My Mel Gibson side says, send them ammo and rifles. How about send them copies of Freedom in Spanish? I mean, that's what that's what I want to do. Because uh, well, one of my concerns, just quick aside on this, is that, uh, you know, Martha said they refused the vaccines coming in. You know, that's not that's not aid necessarily. Right. And I know there's there's a lot of conflicting over. Does that qualify or is that poison? Is it what? Um, but if part of what's happening here is retaliation, if there's manipulation of, hey, well, the, you know, those Cuban communists, they're not really in line with the global covid plan enough. Maybe we got to let a little revolution happen there. I don't mean it's not that deliberate. I'd like to think that the dynamics of, of the people getting the Internet are, are the more powerful prevailing ones. All right. With that, ladies and gentlemen, Ford Fisher joins us today. He's an independent journalist, filmmaker, editor-in-chief of News to Share, a platform for raw video of political activism. His work has been featured in Oscar, Emmy, and Golden Globe winning films. Ford, what you know better than to appeal to those authorities and burnishing your credentials for Adam versus the Mano. Ford Fisher is the, the the boots on the ground independent journalist who has done so much great work in, uh, in bringing you the reality of what's happening on the ground in a lot of places the mainstream media won't go or is afraid to go or won't bother to cover getting it straight to the internet. I, I don't even, what's that platform that sucks so bad? YouTube, is that YouTube, what they call it? Yeah, I still yeah, try really them. hard with YouTube. Um, I've been demonetized twice and gotten them to re-monetize it again, kind of by appealing to the powers that be. The last time I got demonetized, they only re-monetized it and said, whoops, it was an over-enforcement after Fox News wrote an article about it. So sometimes you've got to uh, get to those big voices to uh, get them to change their minds on stuff. So yeah. I still fight for it. But I also do use platforms like 
uh, Odyssey as well uh, is a strong one. I know you're live on there right now. Um, yes. So yes, I think I, it's I, important to hybridize both using the mainstream platforms as well as the alternatives. Yeah. Um, quick sidebar before we get to the main subject of the Johnny Hurley shooting and your work there. Um, I just personal and point of personal privilege here, uh, you know, with because Ford's credentials really are more that he's had incredible success being the voice of people on the street who aren't being heard by the mainstream media, who, who don't have their own media operations and making sure that people are being held accountable as well in that context on the street and has great success on YouTube and other platforms. We're on Odyssey right now. I'm very excited about Babylon crumbling, which includes the digital underpinnings of Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, you know, the, 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 the major Google, obviously, whatever. Um, and this, the switch to blockchain right now is I haven't, I haven't had enough experience with Odyssey to make the, the full throated endorsement, but I, I'd like to get to that point. Are, are you hopeful right yeah, now about I mean the platforms that you're on? What I really like about Odyssey right now is that it uh, has those blockchain elements of making it sort of immutable, uncensorable kind of by its technology. Um, but at the same time, it still has the feature of when I post to YouTube, I can have it automatically cross post onto Odyssey. So mm -hmm. uh, as someone who doesn't like managing a million different social media platforms, uh, that's useful to me. I would add that I also have Minds set up to do the same thing, which is another kind of blockchain based social media sites. So um, I think that they're good as both a backup and as kind of a way to uh, shift people over to those platforms. Like, I guess I'd rather people be watching me there, but I also acknowledge the reality that just reaching the biggest audiences does mean using uh, right now the big corporate uh, groups like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, but I'd love to see more people migrate to those other resources that uh, you know I'm trying to get more into. All right, so one more big general question before we get to Johnny Hurley again, because it was been a while since we've chatted. Uh, I think I think we've talked a couple times over the last year and a half at least. But it, for the Johnny Hurley shooting in Colorado, uh, what have you learned in, in in covering the news over the last year and a half or so that you think is important context for this, or or important insights that you'd want to share about uh, the, the the COVID crisis and everything around it? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just generally say overall in the last year and just a generally like the trends that I try to fight in all of my work is that there can be this media regurgitation of whatever the state media, the state narrative to the media is. And so what I mean by that is, uh, you know, after a shooting happens, a police shooting or whatever else it is, um, you know, the media ends up just quoting the police report kind of as if it's fact. Police say da 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 and you don't get a comment from the suspect, you know, oh, a lawyer couldn't be reached. Like they add in a little bit of stuff, but uh, generally any given situation, it just goes, you know, at the beginning with whatever kind of the state media is, and then it just sort of echoes it. Um, I, as a really simple example, kind of at the, be the beginning of the last year of, of chaos and strife and whatever, um, you know, when the George Floyd death happened, um, the original police report said that a person died from a medical incident, right? At the at the very beginning, police released a statement. It didn't say right. police killed him. It didn't say anything about kneeling on the neck. It said that somebody was arrested and then they suffered a medical incident and they died. And I've, I, I was very happy to see that the person who filmed that death, which changed uh, the narrative about that situation and then caused many of the events that happened, uh, actually won an honorary Pulitzer. And that was, a, I believe, a 17-year-old oh, wow. who just filmed on her cell phone. It was... It was just a person who was right 
right there at the right time. And I think that people need to realize that they have the power, that everybody sort of can be the media. And uh, that that kind of objective video, right? Here's an eight minute video of what happened to that man. That really changed our understanding. I think most people wouldn't have heard of George Floyd uh, and there wouldn't have been accountability in the way that there was if there hadn't been video of it. Else we would have just had a press release and, you know, some local media would have echoed what the cops said about it and that would have just about been it. So, I mean, it does uh, segue nicely into Johnny Hurley because uh, we do have very limited uh, kind of, you know, police narrative that's been echoed, but I'm, I'm sure you'll want to talk more about it. Well, just to remind the audience, it was June 21st uh, of this year. And I'm, I'm like looking at dates going, wow, yeah, a month and a half. Yeah. Um, still crazy how how fresh this is, you know, and, and Johnny was a friend of mine who I knew from just being a, a, a friend of We Are Change Colorado and, you know, speaking at some of their events and, and helping organize some things with them and, and supporting them online. Um and it was the 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 official story is that an officer responded to a report of a suspicious person was shot and killed uh, by the shooter, the active shooter. And then that was when Johnny Hurley uh, shot the first man with his handgun. And and here even on on Wikipedia where I'm getting this, they just to make sure I have the details right. I'm I'm already recognizing they're getting the details wrong, or at least in a contradicting way to the story. Said. Uh, took his shotgun from the video that they did release. They said he already put his shotgun back in the vehicle and was out with the AR. And it's like, it's a weird thing to look at this and, and sound like a conspiracy. There's, well, they said shotgun when they said AR, but it's when they've covered up and misreported so much on this. Every one of these cracks in their story could be significant. Uh, so when, but basically it was, it was, and this is based on what we know from the, the police narrative so far is that. There was an active shooter who was targeting cops in Arvada and shot one with a shotgun, went back to his car to get his AR, and was going to kill more cops. Johnny Hurley intervened and then was shot by a cop. And you would you would hope, I would hope that where we're at with police accountability in 2021, if this was a case of, yeah, our officer fucked up and he shot the wrong guy and it was a confusing situation and we're sorry and we take responsibility that they would be able to say that. And the fact that they've covered up more than they have to, even to cover that up, if that's the the case is suggestive of a lot more. So you were contacted by we are change Colorado, I believe, right. To, to come in and cover this or, or how did you first get connected with we are change? So I, I knew of Johnny. I had spoken to him a few times in the last couple of years uh, before he died. And um, I was sort of interested in the story. A couple of people had reached out to me and said, you know, is it possible to do a Johnny Hurley documentary? Um, And then ultimately there was a protest planned uh, for a few weeks ago that was supposedly in his name. And when I arrived and interviewed people there, they, it was, it was only a handful of people, like a half dozen people who showed up outside the city hall in Arvada, Colorado. And uh, it, it, I realized after speaking to them that they didn't actually know him. They had come from other places in Colorado. Their intentions were sincere, but the people who I, uh, you know, found, you know, doing this were not actually, uh, friends of his. When I had originally traveled there, my hope was that I would show up at the protests and then basically use that to network in and, uh, see what I could pull together in the next few days. But it was actually, uh, Derek Bros who then referred me to, 
um, Kenny of Kenny's Kitchen and yep. several other uh, friends in the area. And so it was very quickly that I was able to meet up with his sort of actual friends. And, mm. um, you know, we visited the site where it happened a few times. Um, I interviewed um, a number of his friends as well as one of the witnesses. And so to clarify, I guess, a couple of the things that you uh, talked about. So he he was uh, killed on the 21st and police originally said essentially um, Johnny responded to the shooter and died. And they didn't, they never said definitively at the time that he was killed by police or by the shooter, but everybody I think um, believed from the way that he was describing that they were describing it, right. He confronted an active shooter and then died um, that he had been shot by the shooter. And then it wasn't until four days later yeah. that police actually officially told the truth. Um, in their or admitted to that one critical fact. Right, one, yeah, I guess I should say the truth. The truth is a strong word. word. You're right, you're right. Uh, yeah, truth is a strong word. Don't apply that to cops unfairly. Right, you're right. So um, that they said that it was that it was a responding officer that killed Johnny. Um, they added one detail that I think is very much in dispute. And so I'm not going to say that they're lying or not lying about it, but I think it's pretty questionable, which is that when they admitted that it was a responding officer who killed Johnny, um, and by the way, we don't have video evidence of that moment, so there's a lot of questions about that, right? Do we know on, if it was on, one officer? On, I, I know, hold on, Fort. I know yes. this is like a little precise language thing. He said, we um, don't have footage of that. We have footage of that. that right. It's being held by government officials engaged in this cover-up led by District Attorney Alexis we, King, meaning you and I, right don't have footage of yeah. uh, what happened sure, after yeah. Just making sure everybody knows which we are. There's, I, and I, I just want to emphasize, because this is a critical point in understanding the cover-up, there's there's footage from a bunch of different cameras that is being right. withheld at this point, including body cams. Uh, Well, not body cameras. So oh, no, that's right. The Arvada police don't have body Arvada cameras. Police but vehicle the cams. There's of body cams and then said, we don't want them. And now they'll be required to get them in 2023 by state law, but they don't have them as of now. Thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Back to your narrative. Uh, there are multiple security cameras at the scene, and what they released um, on the four days after it happened was footage of Troiki uh, approaching the police officer. They kind of cut uh, out the exact moment that he shoots him, so it basically he approaches him with a shotgun, and then it cuts to a blurred out police body sitting there as Troiki then uh, yep. returns to his car. He puts the tactical shotgun back in his car and picks up an AR-15. You can actually, if you look very closely, you can see Johnny run across Arvada Square uh, to his position of cover that he shot um, Troiki from. So Troiki returns with the AR-15, and then they cut, right? The, Ar the Arvada police in what they release, right. they cut before uh, Johnny shoots the shooter, right? We don't see that, and we don't see the police uh, shoot Johnny. And when they put out this statement, they claimed that at the moment that Johnny was shot, that he was holding a rifle. And so the the implication being that he picked up the shooter's rifle. And of course, what they're trying to have the public infer is that the police's uh, apparent mistake of shooting him would be more um, sort of understandable if he had picked up the shooter's weapon. Um, the reasons that people are skeptical of those claims uh, include that, so visiting the actual site where it happened, um, we know that Johnny ended up at that behind that brick wall, which he used as cover. And there's a few markings that look like um, bullet markings um, near where 
we assume he was shot, which is from behind cover and and also from behind relative to Troiki. Um, so if he had picked up the rifle, um, either he would have been shot over Troiki's body, uh, which apparently did not happen based on where the bullet holes are, uh, although it's possible that the police could have missed very badly, um, or he could have picked up the rifle and then returned to his cover position, um, which is not impossible, but it would be strange um, given that he had just shot the shooter. So why is he returning to cover with the shooter's rifle? Um, some people have also kind of speculated, you know, he was, it, it seemed like he was very well trained it, during COVID. He took a, uh, a number of classes. It sounded like on sort of tactical training. And as yeah. this active shooter situation happened, he responded sort of perfectly, right? He, he beeline from, from cover to cover going to a, a trash can and then a lamppost and then a brick wall. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let me just expound quickly on what you said there. Johnny Hurley was not a casual concealed carry dude who's just like well i have a right so i'm gonna have it on me he took it very seriously the training that ford is referring to is how to, is not just military or militia or fun gun stuff it's how to be a responsible member of society carrying a concealed weapon being capable of safely using it in exactly a situation like this Right. And even one of the witnesses I interviewed, the owner of the Army Surplus store that he had been uh, shopping at when it happened, said in his own words, he said, this was not your everyday weekend warrior, right? It takes somebody special to go up against somebody in an open uh, area who has an AR-15 and you have your concealed yes. carry handgun and then and then win that gunfight, right? Yes, um, absolutely. So, uh, so those would be two bizarre scenarios that would have him holding the rifle when he is shot. Either he, he leaves cover and is shot, but bullet holes end up at where he had cover, uh, or he returns to cover and then gets shot behind cover, which would be with the rifle, which would be strange, or the police are lying, right? That's the other option is that, uh, you know, Johnny shoots the shooter, police uh, approach the situation, they don't know what's going on, and they just shoot the first person who they see, uh, with a gun who was firing it. Um, there was a separate video, a different YouTuber who I actually didn't get to meet with there, who said that he had interviewed people um, who also told him that the shooting happened in two waves, right? The shotgun wave and then uh, the wave of fire that would have happened as Johnny is responding to Troiki and then police shoot Johnny. Um, if Johnny had picked up the rifle, uh, you would expect there to have been a gap. Johnny shoots shooter, Johnny picks up rifle, cops shoot Junie, just shop cops shoot Johnny. You mm -hmm. would expect that to be, you would expect there to be a gap. So I didn't personally interview any witnesses who said that. So I, I guess I would say that's a separate YouTuber who has that sort of piece of uh, evidence, if you will. But um, questions certainly remain. And yeah. the hesitancy on the part of the police to release evidence that would corroborate their narrative events um, you know, I think it's, I think it's concerning that they haven't done that. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, so I, I jumped to as, as a conspiracy theorist, you know, what's, what's the worst possible outcome here. Um, and, and it seems like un, until they, I don't know. I, I want to give it to you, but let's see what it, uh, we have a YouTube comment, uh, from saying Domino, like you alluded to earlier, Adam, they are bad on purpose or uh, they are covering up uh, a bad accident. So Ford, yeah, I mean, we could pour, I think we've done enough covering the details and the inconsistencies. Let's take a minute to, to theorize, like, well, what are the, uh, and what are the possibilities here uh, of what, I mean, we, we, we wanna give the police the benefit of the doubt first and say, 
let's hope they were just they're just covering up a, a bad shooting. Yeah, I mean, I think that the probably Overton window of possibilities is from, like, on one end, the police made a mistake and uh, they, and Johnny was holding the rifle and so it's a more understandable mistake. I think the other end is they're, they're lying about why that mistake was made to make it seem like a more sympathetic mistake um, by Johnny having not picked up the rifle and then they, they right. lied about it and that they're hoping that people will kind of forget about it by the time that information gets out or that they would, you know, cover it up forever. I, I, in my talking to people there, I did not meet anybody who would contend that the police sort of, you know, purposely made that mistake or anything like that. So I, I don't think that there's any reason to believe that, um, that it was anything other than a mistake. It's more like, how did they, how did they handle that? Right. Like, like any profession, right. This isn't targeting police in particular, or even government in particular, but like any profession, you know, you make a mistake, especially one with fatal consequences. You, we would like to have the truth and transparency about it, right. And their community and uh, his family in particular deserves that. Um, so I, I feel like your commenter is alluding to the idea that perhaps they shot Johnny on purpose, knowing that he was not the shooter. And I, I, I don't think that there's anybody in that community who would, uh, go in that direction with their thinking. Yeah, no. And, and I've had to consider that and, and knowing him as a friend and as an activist and, and having seen that they did just murder John McAfee in a Spanish prison when you go like, no, that's not even a plausible story anymore. Right. Than, I think these, you know, those are being... such different situations. Okay. Like I, okay, I understand here's... what you're saying, but they're drastically so here's... different situations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll put that back in the very corner of like minuscule, minuscule out there possibility, highly unlikely. Um, but what seems to be worthy of a little more examination here is the shooter and the setup for the circumstance itself. And, there are a lot of conspiracy theorists who have done some uh, serious work researching all the various mass shootings in the United States. And if you're familiar with the history of the FBI, political assassinations, setting people up, crazy making, instigating criminal activity, uh, like um, I'm trying to think, what, what are the best examples of you know the FBI, like like the Governor Whitmer thing, for example, recently, where it was found that right where you know, there was most, where there was more FBI informants than there were participants. <laughs> yeah, yeah basically, story, yeah. And, and I think around a, a lot of the shootings, I don't think we have any sort of actual smoking guns to use a, a, a horrifically inappropriate metaphor here. But we don't have the smoking gun evidence that shootings have been anything other than fucked up, maybe let it happen on purpose, ignored the warning signs, bigger problems. But this one, the Troiki situation, where the cops responded to a call to his house, but then he was already on the way to a shooting. And it, it seems like there this one raises some questions about the shooting itself. Is that all silly remote possibility stuff? Or do you see any gaps in that side of the narrative that deserve examination? I mean, I, I don't know that I would draw any conclusion from it because we know so little about it. So what the police said about Troiki is that they had there was some kind of a note or a manifesto that in which he claimed that he was going to kill as many police officers as possible. But they never actually released like a scan or a photograph of that document. Um, and they they in text form, they typed out six out of context quotes from that note. Um, yes, they, they may well be Very real quotes. They may have been written by him. Um, I'm not saying that they're that they're lying by doing that, but but 
it in inarguably they are out of context in the sense that literally we don't see the context of them. The other thing that's interesting is that him having such a specific vendetta, um, there's no really obvious reason that he would have such a vendetta against the Arvada Police Department. So um, I do address this a little bit in the documentary that I made. I wanted to focus mostly on Johnny, but I did set it up by explaining, here's what we do know about Troiki. Um, he had had a misdemeanor domestic assault charge in the early 90s, and he had been arrested once for DUI. Um, and he had been evicted from his home once and had like a bankruptcy thing in early 2000. But he doesn't have some kind of extensive criminal history. It's not like he was arrested anytime recently by the Arvada police. So the the reason why he would have such an intense vendetta against them at this point is pretty unclear, uh, at least to me. Um, my understanding of, and again, we still don't have a lot. We kind of have what the police have said, but apparently the police had been sort of called to like to the area because some relative of his um, believed that he was going to do something dangerous. And that's why there was sort of a wellness check or something. And then he had already gone out. And so, you know, by the time it happened, uh, Troiki is already out there and then he sees a police officer and then um, shoots him in the back of the head, which begins all of this. Um, but we really know very little about him. So as much as I've focused, uh, you know, pretty yeah. extensively on Johnny and what he stood for in life, um, which I think is actually the main thing that the mainstream media is missing during all of this. So I'd love to talk yeah. about the contradictions of that. But, um, you know, would be that we we have not been given a lot of real hard information about uh, Troiki, right? We don't know where that See, vendetta came it's, from. It's, I'd love to read the rest of that manifesto yeah, yeah. to understand the... Um, you know, what his actual motive was, if, if that really did happen. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and the enthusiasm and, and, and uh, of the cover-up of the shooting itself uh, would suggest that, there's, that there, there might be something more significant being covered up. And it might simply be, again, Occam's razor simple answer, police incompetence in handling troiki or ignoring warning signs or something else. And they're really not concerned with Johnny's situation in this, it's a, it's almost a distraction, perhaps, from some bigger manipulation or from some much bigger fuck-up. With that being said, uh, Ford, I'm grateful that you were there. I'm grateful that you've done this, uh, the documentary on Johnny Hurley. Uh, please tell people where they can find that. Main website, news. Yeah, Jim new, j appreciates the journalism. Ford Fisher is a badass. Um, News2share.com. That's the number two, news to share. Dot com. Uh, that Ford, and, and any closing thoughts, please? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a very quick thing I would say, I'd encourage people to actually watch the film, but a big theme of it is how, um, you know, in the wake of that situation, the police kept saying, you know, Johnny's a good Samaritan, Johnny's a hero. Um, that much is not in dispute whatsoever. Um, but there are these, you know, posters that are going up for fundraisers for the cop who died as well as Johnny. And it's got, you know, Johnny's name and then a thin blue line flag on it. And yeah, so a right. lot of his friends really wanted uh, to make it clear. And we talk about in the film that that's not what he was about. Johnny himself uh, was deeply critical of the police. And while um, they said it wouldn't surprise them that Johnny would stand up to protect human life, no matter what uniform or badge they wore, uh, you know, putting him and thin blue line in the same yeah. poster as if he's no together no. um, is sort of offensive to like what his original actual message was in life. He himself, the, the photo that I use as that thumbnail and that I think is really a great photo now looking back on it is um, 
that he's holding up a mirror. He was at one of the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protests following the death of George Floyd. And Johnny stood with a mirror instead of a poster so that the police would look at themselves uh, as he was out there protesting for them. So um, I think that says a lot more about Johnny than uh, putting a thin blue line flag on over his name and saying, you know, Arvada strong as if those two um, things are kind of, you know, united. So, but I'd encourage people to watch it because it shows a lot more of his other activism against the TSA, for example. I know you're not too fond of them, <laughs> um, you know, and the love police where he gave out free love, free hugs and said that, you know, people need to love and touch each other more. Um, and so, uh, you know, there was a lot more to him than, you know, his final act of heroism. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ford, and all your continued work in independent journalism. Thank you, Adam. All right. With that, we have just a minute. Sorry, Ed, we don't have time to check in with our co-host. Jim, give us the producer notes. What's going on? I hope you enjoyed the show. It was an excellent show. I, I loved it every minute of it. T.me forward slash Adam versus Amanda. You can find all the links that we didn't get to cover today. Patreon.com forward slash Adam versus Amanda. Financially support the show at at the Garden of Freedom is our tag on Instagram, homefrontbattlebuddies.com, theft-deductible donations, decrypto6.com, write to Mr. Nobody in a Cage, gogreenenergyonline.com, educate yourself on self-sustained solar panels and shit. We were so hungry, we ate our fear. Viva Cuba. Wow, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. <laughs>